Let's, let's roll with this, shall we? All right. So, should we do the uh, the children's classrooms? Everybody, hold your bubble. <laughs> no. I never had that. Well, hey, you can have it here. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, redeeming the time. All right. So, we're we're hitting our last section of redeeming the time. There's a couple different subsections that we're going to be hitting. And especially when it comes to, um, Andy, you're super distracting. Come on, what are you doing? I'm trying to get her to stop being distracting so she listens to you. No, she's fine. It's you. She's like this. It's you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sorry. You're fine. Okay, so um, we've been doing this series for a few weeks, uh, actually a couple months now, and we're on our last section, and we're going to be getting into... Um, this next section that we're calling Decisions That Touch Eternity. Eternity, And there are several things that we need to hit, and this one that we're going to talk about tonight um, is one that's very, very important because I really do feel like it affects everything else. And the things we've talked about so far, which we're just going to run through it real quick, uh, just as kind of a recap, uh, here's our verse that we based everything off of, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The fact is, this whole study is about that God has given you a certain amount of time. And we don't know what uh, that amount is. We don't. We don't know if you know, someone's going to go home tonight and, God forbid, something would happen where you get into a car accident and your life would be over. But we need to be thinking about it in these terms because of the fact that if you would die today, this is a great question just to think about. If you were to die today, what kind of regrets would you have? If, if your life would be over tonight and you were to see God face to face, first of all, would you see God face to face? Is that where you would be? And secondly, when you do see him face to face, did the things that you do in the life that you were given now matter? Or there are things that you're choosing that this kind of matters, but it really doesn't matter. You're making it a bigger deal than what it really is. should really sober us up a little bit. I've always been more of a serious thinker, so these things are things that naturally occur to me. Growing up, I used to think about this kind of stuff all the time. But many of you guys are not wired this way. And so you need to be thinking about that because it will help you with the decisions that you're making from day to day if you're thinking about it from an eternal perspective. So we talked about how you were divinely designed by God and how He has made you on purpose, for a purpose, with all the qualities and characteristics and and skills and everything that you have within the family that you have, even within the country that you live in, the state that you live in. He did this on purpose, and there's a mission that He wants you to accomplish on this track that He's given you. And that is something that is, is very, very unique that most people don't even consider, um, and especially when it comes to the, the topics of, of even suicide and things like that, that uh, I, I think about that with this kind of stuff of, of God never wants someone to end their own life, ever. Like, why would he do that? Why would he give someone a life to be lived according to his purpose and then for that person to end it? They're cutting short what God has designed for them. And I know there's a lot more into it than that because even a person that's in that frame of mind is not thinking right. Uh, but nevertheless, that still is the truth. God has given you a life to live and he wants you to live it a certain way. And when we choose to do things contrary to God's will, um, then it's just, it's, it's not going to, the whole life that you have is not going to go well. The mistakes are going to be made regrets are going to be had. I have my own regrets that I'm going to have. But that's something very unique that we need to remember. And we need to believe that God did not make a mistake with you. That even the bad things that happen in your life, God wants to turn those things around and use them for good. He wants to do that. You read throughout the entire Bible, God is in the business of taking things that have been burnt down to ashes and making something beautiful out of it. This is what He does. But most people will not let God do that. So we talked about how you're divinely designed by God and that you're made for a mission. 
And this gets into evangelism and discipleship. Uh, evangelism, manifesting God, telling people who God actually is, clearing up misconceptions that people have about God, and uh, taking them back to the Word of God to correct their thinking so that way you can actually know God for who He truly is and not what a person thinks that He is. And then once a person is born again, then they become a disciple and learning how to walk with God, learning how to minister and to live your life to the fullest the way that God intended it to be. It's very important. Many people don't know how to do that. And a lot of churches today will get someone saved, but they won't actually help them to grow in their walk with God. It's very important. Both are important. Can't have one without the other. And then from there we talked about the body of Christ and how you were made specifically for a body and to function together and that we cannot do this alone. Uh, even within here, I mean, many of you guys, I mean, we vary with skill sets and personalities across the board. But when we bring everyone together and you guys are ministering together, man, you can be incredibly fruitful. One great example of this is with Vacation Bible School. So many of you, most of you are participating in Vacation Bible School. And so you're part of the training where you're coming together and, and you have one person that might be better up front with speaking, another person would be better with crafts, another person might be better just being more of a, hey, I will sit with the kids and I'll keep them calm or whatever the case might be. But when you come together and you're ministering together, doing the work together, you guys will grow abundantly. That's been my testimony. When Andy and I were in high school together, we did vacation Bible school. And every time I did it, it always helped me to grow my walk with God. Every single time. And it wasn't just because I was participating in it. It was because myself and my other peers were working together to accomplish a mission together. You painted your entire body. Yes, I did. I did. I did. It was kind of fun. And you do ridiculous things. Now, that did not help me in my walk with God, but that's okay. All right. Yeah, it was fun. All right. So, so we are the body of Christ and how we need each other. And if you think that you're not needed, you are wrong. You are absolutely wrong. It's just about figuring out where you fit. And that's important. And sometimes you won't figure out where you fit until you actually get to work and you start serving somewhere and then God will help you figure those things out. And so we talked about how that you're built as a body and it's that way on purpose. And so now we're getting into these decisions that impact eternity. So the first thing that we're going to talk about with decisions that impact eternity is everyone's favorite topic authority and dealing with authority and <laughs> because we live in a day and an age where authority has gone completely out the window no one really respects authority and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse and i i firmly believe with all my heart that if a society does not know how to revere authority properly it's only a matter of time before it's completely dismantled and so we as a church as believers, as boarding and believers, we need to see what the Bible says about authority because God is very, very clear about it. But we also need to understand why it's so important. I understand that it's not popular to say, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Like, no one likes that. And we all want to disobey our parents and we all have this spirit of rebellion about, they just don't understand, even though they were teenagers at one point in time, I'm sure what the exact same things I am. But they don't understand with what I'm dealing with and these decisions. They really do. They might have some time removed from that position, but they do understand. <laughs> And there's things that we can struggle with as teenagers um, that's just normal. I think it's normal, but it's learning how to deal with it and how to approach it the right way. I firmly believe that if you can really grasp a good biblical concept of authority at your guys' age, that you will be fruitful in almost everything that you put your hands to. And I mean that with all my heart. I think that if you really firmly grasp, believe, and adopt the biblical view of authority, you will be the best employee and you'll be very quickly promoted in your job in the future. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. I know that's going to happen. If you are someone who can really adopt this and put it into your life, then God is going to bless you and you're going to be able to be fruitful and multiply like nobody's business. You're going to be able to do it. And so this is huge. If you can't get this topic down, I mean, really get it in your heart, then uh, you're going to struggle with so many things going forward. And there is absolutely no way that you're going to be able to pick a, a proper spouse if you can't get your hands on this. I do believe that. So this is very important. This, this concept is really going to lay the groundwork for next week when we talk about friendships, the following week when we start talking about dating, engagement, and marriage, and the following week when we talked about your future career. This is something that deals with your heart, and that's why it matters so much. So we're going to hit this and talk about it, and we're going to uh, be reading some verses together and diving into these three points. All right, so our first one, the spirit of rebellion, your flesh. So the paragraph here under authority, your perception heart attitude and response to the God-ordained authority figures will determine your quality of life from this moment into eternity. 
This begins with your parent or parents and includes your school teachers, ministry leaders, law enforcement, pastors, government officials. Yes, government officials. Yes, Andy, government officials. Oh, amen. <laughs> and managers at work, even though they might be knuckleheads, and anyone else with a position or title of power. Okay? This is very important. So even if you disagree, your heart attitude matters greatly on this. And some of you are really struggling with this in your life, either recently or maybe tonight. You're just really struggling with some, some things in your heart about this. So you need to get this down. So the first thing where we have to start is this spirit of rebellion. And that would be your flesh. Your sinful flesh has the spirit of rebellion inside of it. And so we get this honestly. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Um, this, is, this is back where it really begins within the human race. But Genesis chapter 3. And we'll be hitting this again when it comes to the, the dating and relationships aspect. Um, because this is the first relationship in the Bible that we find. And how it really serves as a good type for us to follow after. But here's our point. Our forefathers rebelled and we inherited the same spirit. And you got to know this. You have to know, if you've lived long enough, I think, at this point in your life, that you know that inside of you is a spirit of rebellion. Right? Right. I mean, I would, I, would, I would say with everyone in this room that we all have a spirit of rebellion. Would you agree with me on that? Yes. Okay. All right. We know Andy does, for sure. And so we all have the spirit of rebellion inside of us. And it can be a huge, huge problem. So our forefathers rebelled. So when you go back and you hit the context of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we all know that God uh, recreated the, the heaven and the earth. And in the, the process of recreation, he has Adam and Eve in chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 and 28. And he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And then in chapter 2, it goes into more detail of what happened in chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, where he created Adam. And then God brings uh, the whole of creation before Adam. And he starts naming all the different animals. And there was not found for him a helpmeet, someone who could help him accomplish his mission of being fruitful and multiply. And this is where God performs the first surgery in the Bible. And the first uh, anesthesia uh, takes place where he puts Adam into a very deep sleep. Um, and he might have even died at that point and God resurrected him. We don't know. But either way, he then sleeps and the first surgery is performed where God took uh, part of his rib and created Eve and then brought her unto him and now he can accomplish his mission. And the very first thing that we find right out of the gate, and everything is set. Everything that God wants to be in order for everything to be fruitful and multiply is ready to go. And the first thing that we find is chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know, in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Then the eyes of, both, of, of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And then God comes down to talk with them, and then uncovers what had been done. So everything is set, everything's ready to go, to be fruitful, multiply, and then the serpent shows up, and he questions the word of God, and notice he didn't question Adam, he questioned Eve. He found the right place, the right time, the right person to get in there to corrupt the whole thing. Because God commanded Adam, and then Adam was responsible to help his wife to understand God's commandments. And here when he shows up to question it, she starts to wonder, is that what God actually said? So this is his first step. Did God actually say this? And then she says in verse 3, neither shall ye touch it. So she adds to God's words. So she goes into it and she misrepresents what God has said and then she contradicts and then he contradicts God's words and then changes, changes God's words in verse 5 and then she ends up uh, giving into the deception and ends up taking of the fruit. So the reality is there's a couple things that are here. First of all, you better know your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, you're not going to be able to understand the right decision. In the moment of temptation, any of you been tempted this past week? With anything? I know I have. In the moment of temptation, it's super strong, super convincing. And if you don't know the Word of God, there's no way you're going to combat it. There's no way. Absolutely no way. So here, she doesn't know God's Word. 
and she doesn't know it properly enough in order to combat the attack of the devil to come in and ruin what God's putting on here. And then he changes it, and then she chooses to believe what the devil says, the devil's representation of God's words rather than what God said himself. And then she's tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life in verse 6. It was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life right there. And she took of the fruit and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So she was deceived. We can actually cross this over to 1 Timothy, and we know that she was genuinely deceived. Genuinely, she really thought that she was actually making a good, wise move. Adam knew contrary. He knew this is not what God told us to do, but he chose to follow her lead instead, and the whole thing got completely messed up. The whole thing. And so this is where we get the spirit of rebellion. Because let me ask you something. What did they benefit from in partaking of the, of the food, of the tree, of the fruit of the tree? What did they get? What did they gain? Yeah. Death. That's really all they gained. They had everything else. Everything else. They had the knowledge of good, but now they have the knowledge of evil. And that's the only thing they gained. And yet the devil was so good at trying to convince her, God is holding something back from you. He gave you these rules and these regulations and these parameters and these restrictions because he's wanting to hold something back from you that you rightly deserve. And then she's like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I'm actually going to take that. And then it ended up killing the entire human race. Talk about like worst decision ever. Right? So when you think about it on these terms, a lot of us feel like, um, and, and, you can, and you can feel it. You can feel the spirit of rebellion inside of you. A lot of us feel like when there's rules, when there's restrictions, when people tell us that we're not allowed to do something, there's something inside of us that says, no, you can't tell me what to do. This is where it comes from. And a good godly parent or a good godly authority never gives and enforces rules for your harm. Now, there's some people that are morons out there that do that, and that's wrong. That's evil. And God's going to hold them accountable for that, especially if they're in a position of power. But a good leader, a good godly leader, is always going to have the other person's interests at heart every single time. And I know from a parental side of it, I know that parents are not perfect. I know that. I am one, and I'm not perfect. But I will tell you, I try to do my best to, with all my heart, make the right decision for my child. I try. And I believe that every parent, they are going to do that as well, for the most part. Now, there are some exceptions to that, but I think for the most part, it is naturally inside of every parent to want to do something for the benefit of their child. I really do believe that. And of course, the exception is if they're not walking with God, then they can be carnal, and there's other exceptions to it. But in general, I believe that is the heartbeat of most parents, most parents. So when looking at this, and I threw in as another reference here, uh, we got Romans 5.12, which I have on your, on your screen here. So we got Genesis 3, and then we've got um, Romans 5.12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So this is where we get this from. The spirit of rebellion, where Adam and Eve rebelled against God openly, even though Eve was deceived and Adam was not. They both walked into it, and they both ended up sinning. And as a result, we have this spirit of rebellion inside of us. And it really didn't originate necessarily with Adam and Eve, because it really came from Lucifer. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, I put those references on your guys' study sheet. That's really where this came from. When you study those out, you find out that Lucifer was given dominion. He had a throne and he had authority, and he didn't. He wasn't content with the, the position that God gave him. He didn't want it at all. He wanted something else. He wanted something more. He wanted to be like the Most High, and as a result, he had a spirit of rebellion inside of him. And since God cast him out and destroyed his kingdom, then what is he going to do here? Well, I'm going to ruin God's kingdom, and I'm going to get these people to follow me in rebellion against God. So, whenever you look at the whole of humanity, you could really take it across the board, and you could see that you have two kingdoms that are battling against one another. One is the kingdom of rebellion, that's Lucifer. And he is doing everything that he can in order to get every single human being to walk in rebellion against God. And he's doing a pretty darn good job at it. I mean, pretty excellent at it. Even people that call themselves Christians, I'd say most of the time they're walking in rebellion against God. And then you have God who's, who's trying his hardest in order to, to nurture and to have uh, Christians be fruitful and to multiply and to bring up worshipers that are worshiping God in spirit and in truth and are walking in submission to him. And it's very, very difficult. We, we live in enemy territory, and our flesh is one of our main enemies, and we've got to be able to combat that every single day. So we have this spirit of rebellion inside of us. And so this is why in the Bible, and this is our next point, God commanded righteousness to be instilled. He commanded righteousness to be instilled. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy 6. 
So he knows this about us. He knows that we have the spirit of rebellion. And you can see with the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy... Deuteronomy chapter 6. So this is before they're heading into the promised land. They had escaped Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. Um, Pharaoh is a type of the devil and is a type of the Antichrist. And so out of after living 400 years in Egypt, now God is bringing them out to be a people unto himself. And you have in Deuteronomy 6 where God really lays this out for them. All right, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them on the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And he continues on and on and on and on and on from there. So here, I mean, it's very clear. He's like, okay, first of all, you as parents need to be, you know, need to know God's words, but then you need to teach them diligently unto thy children. And how are you going to do this? He lays it out in verse 7. You're going to, right after, after teaching diligently, what does he say? You need to... What is it? I heard someone say it. Talk. Talk of them. When thou sittest, when thou walkest, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Pretty much everything that you're doing, you're talking about God's words. Now, this is pretty simple because what is something that is like um, a habit that you guys love or, or like a, a hobby, I guess is a better term? Video games. Video games. Okay, what else? Sports. Sports. All right. So when it comes to video games and sports or anything else that might be a, a hobby of yours, do you not want to talk about it? And don't you instantly click with someone who has the same interests that you do? And you just don't stop talking about it. I mean, it's just something that's pretty normal. Some of you, it's music. Some of it, it could be movies. It could be, you know, books. It could be comics. It could be all, it could be all sorts of things. But when you find something in common with another person, it's easier for you to converse about those things. God wants His people to be talking about His words constantly. The more you talk about something, the more you remember it. The more you think about it. It's pretty common. And this is why he says you need to talk of, this, talk of these things whenever when you're doing anything. And then he says, bind them as a sign upon thine hand. So put them on your hand. Because when you're walking out throughout the day, you're going to see them on your hands. And it shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Now he says as. And so he didn't really mean this. But there's a lot of Pharisees that actually did that. They actually bound stuff on their head as a sign of, you know, really virtue signaling and being holy when they really weren't. And then, verse 9, And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So put God's words everywhere. Put it on the places that you're going to see, where you're going to be, where you walk by. Talk about them all the time. Because if you do this, then it's going to be in your mind and in your heart, and you're not going to forget this. So this isn't like rocket science. It's not difficult. The more you're in God's Word, the more you minister God's Word and share it with other people, the more that you talk about God's Word, the more about God you're going to think. It's really simple. And so he did that because he wanted them to get this rebellious spirit out of them. And that's the only way they could do it. He knew that righteousness needed to be instilled in them. Take a look at this verse in Deuteronomy 7. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. He pulled them out of Egypt, a wicked, wicked place that they lived, that they raised their families in and everything. And now he's pulled them out and he's like, okay, listen, you're going to be mine. Above all the nations of the earth, you're going to be mine. So I need you to talk about my words. I need you to teach them diligently to your children. I need you to change your entire way of life in order to learn how to be righteous. Because you already know how to rebel. You already know how to sin. Now I need to teach you how to do what's right. And that's really what the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, frankly, teaches. Let's take a look at Leviticus. Speaking of Leviticus, let's go over to... Um, actually, I think I might have this one already. Leviticus 20. Yeah, I do. Okay. He says, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. And then take a look at this one. Psalm 34, 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
Now, what do I mean by the fear of the Lord? Who can give me a good definition of the fear of the Lord? What does that mean? The fear of the Lord. Okay, Ethan. Like a respectful fear, not that you're like waking it like you're scared of him, but in the sense that you wouldn't want to let him down because you love him. Yeah, so it's more of a, a reverence or a respect or a, um, I mean, there is an element of fear, like actually being afraid of God. Um, I've used the illustration a lot. I used it at camp several years ago that what if God followed you around every single day, like every day? And we've done this before. Might as well do it now. Come here, Gavin. I think we did Gavin last time, too. Did we? You want my gun? Did I, Gavin? I don't know. I don't know. Well, if not, we did it now. All right. So, let's say I'm Jesus, just for the sake of example, because everyone knows I'm not Jesus. Yeah, what's up, my idea? All right. All right. So, everywhere that Gavin goes, I would go. Every conversation. So, just start walking around and maybe strike up a conversation with somebody. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm tired. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Do you like your game? Look, oh, yeah, it was very good. Yeah, losing 17-0? 19. 19. 19. That was good. Yeah. This is correct on the Yeah. Kidney shot. That's the Holy Spirit. So everywhere that Gavin goes, let's go back this way. Oh. Yeah. So everywhere that Gavin goes, Jesus goes. All right? And so he hears everything that Gavin's saying. He actually hears everything that Gavin's thinking, by the way. What am I thinking about? How awesome I am. (laughs) All right, have a seat. But can you imagine, like, just for a full day or even just for several hours, if Jesus followed you around, if he followed you around at school, if he followed you around at home, if he followed you around when even, like, you're super upset and the thing, I mean, would you behave differently? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we would. We absolutely would. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Out of respect. Go ahead. Like I was gonna say, like you don't want him to be like oh, I forgot the word, but like look down upon. Yeah. So you don't want to misrepresent him. Okay. Why? Why else? Give me some other reasons. Why? Why would your behavior be different? Fear. Fear of. The Lord. Shots. <laughs> of the Lord. Fear of Holy Spirit kidney shots. <laughs> what else? Anything else? Think about it. Just think about it. You have constant accountability. Constant accountability. Constant. Like, you're not going to get away with anything. Like, nothing. Like, you can't... Even if no one is home, and you're in your room, and it's dark, and no one sees what you're doing, whether it's the stuff in your head, or the stuff on your phone, or things that you don't think that anyone else is aware of, He's there and he sees everything. So here's the reality. It is that way anyway. When I remember that, I bet you, I bet you, I'm more apt to not sin. That's how it is in my life. When I remember that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me permanently and dwells me because I'm born again and that he's with me everywhere that I go. And even if he wasn't in there, God still, he still sees and hears everything. The Proverbs talks about that, that hell and destruction are before the eyes of the Lord. How much more are the hearts of the children of men? He sees everything. There's not a single thing that we're going to get away with. Not a single thing. Not a single thing. So it's better to walk with God and be willing to deal with those things now so that way He doesn't have to bring them up in judgment later. And that is one of the seven judgments, by the way, is the daily judgment of the believer. Things that you should be judging every day according to God's words, so that way God doesn't have to bring it up later. So he's wanting to teach his people how to be righteous. He already sees everything. He already knows everything. But we have the spirit of rebellion, and it's inside of us. But I wanted to end on this passage here, Psalm 34:11, because the fear of the Lord is something that has to be taught. Like, this is not something that you just naturally get. Like, it's something that's just part of your nature. This is something that that has to be taught. You have to be taught how to fear God. And the first thing that you need to learn is that God is everywhere. He hears everything. He sees everything. He knows all your thoughts. All the things that you hide from any other person, you can never hide from Him. And if that strikes fear in your heart, good. It should. I remember the first time that it really hit home with me, that fact, that reality, and it scared the crap out of me. I mean, it scared me to death. And what it really did was, okay, God, I need to deal with this. I can't hide from this anymore. I mean, even your word says that whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper. 
I can't, I can't do this. How do, how do I expect to live a, a fulfilled, prosperous life that will bring you honor and glory when I'm hiding these things in my heart and in my life that you already see anyway? You're just wanting me to actually admit these things and to deal with the, these things with you. That's really what it comes down to. And we have to be taught how to fear the Lord because we do not have the fear of the Lord inside of us normally. So let's take a look at this next section. Fear the Lord. Learning practical holiness. Now I'm going to divide up these verses. So I'm going to need some volunteers. Um, Proverbs 8.13. Okay. Next one. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. Timmy. Carson, do, Pro- or do Isaiah 11.3. And then I need Job 28.28. 28. Got that one. Gavin, take Proverbs 1.29. Proverbs 15.33. Ethan, um, Proverbs 23:17, Connor, Psalm 111, verse 10. Who wants that one? Okay, Kenzie. Uh, Proverbs 1, 7. Okay, Brandon. Proverbs 2, 5. Melissa will. What now? Melissa. Melissa's got it. Proverbs 1, 5. Okay. Uh, or 2, 5, sorry. Proverbs 2, 5. Proverbs 9, 10. Andy? Okay. Uh, Proverbs 16, 6. Megan. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Okay, you got that one. Okay, so we're all going to share these verses. Everybody else go to Second Second Chronicles 19. Second Chronicles 19. And if you um, are reading, you can either just listen to this one or you can just hold your spot and go to Second Chronicles 19. Second Chronicles 19. Okay. Now again, this is super practical. These are things that, that we need to learn. When you properly fear the Lord, these are the things that are going to happen in your life. And let me tell you, when you are in emotional circumstances, when you are in temptations, when you are in uh, a situation that can be very overwhelming and, um, and even uh, confusing, or these things are very, very hard to do. Very hard to do. I'll be honest. 100%. They're very, very hard to do. But when you learn to fear the Lord, these things will happen. So if you don't do well with this kind of stuff, then you need to know, I need to really learn how to fear the Lord. So the first thing that's going to happen is that God's perspective drives every circumstance. Which means you have to abandon your own perspective your own feelings, your own emotions, and you have to adopt God's view, God's perspective, God's thoughts about that circumstance. And the only way you're going to do that is if you are in God's Word or if you're able to go someone that will give you godly counsel from God's Word. That's the only way it's going to happen. In order for you to abandon your own thoughts, feelings, and perspectives on any given situation, you have to do that. Take a look at 2 Chronicles 19 and take a look at verse uh, 5. And he set judges in the land throughout all the fenced cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Take heed what ye do, for ye judge not for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. Wherefore now, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts." Moreover, in Jerusalem did Jehoshaphat of the Levites and of the priests and of the chief of the fathers of Israel for the judgment of the Lord and for the controversies when they returned to Jerusalem. And he charged them, saying, Thus shall ye do in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a perfect heart. So he set these judges. And what these judges did was, there were judges in all the different cities. And when somebody had a circumstance, when they had a, a, a matter, whether it was, you know, this person owes me money, or this person wronged me because they did this, or this person made fun of my mother, whatever it is, they went before the judges. And the judges then took that circumstance and they knew, okay, I'm going to pass judgment on this circumstance. And I'm not judging for this person, I'm not judging for that person. I'm judging for him. So what does God's word actually say? Let me listen to the circumstance and then I will give a judgment according to the word of God. Because if I misjudge, then God's going to hold me accountable. That's really what he's talking about here. So this guy has authority. And so for this person to do this job, they could not care. Like let's say, you know, Andy and Rick, who I, I love them both, but let's say they have an issue together and then they both came to me and say, hey, I've got problems with, with, with each other. And I love and care for them both. Now, in the world system, I've known Andy much longer. He's a closer friend. So I might want to show him more favoritism than I would Rick. I might. I might want to show. It depends on the day. (laughs) And so the world would dictate, well, he's a loyal friend. I'm going to be loyal to him. And plus, he's a police officer, so maybe he can kind of do something for me in return. 
Now, Rick. That's cronyism. <laughs> it is. It totally is. And so, would I be able to judge justly if I looked at it from that perspective? Right. I would not. I would not. So, I would have to think of it okay, I can't be partial. I, I can't have any respect of persons. I can't. I know that God is going to call me out on this one. I have to make sure that I judge appropriately. And then I have to hear the matter, go to the Word of God, and then judge it appropriately. I've got to do that. And I have to put my feelings aside, our history aside, our friendship aside, and I've got to make a proper decision. It's very difficult to do. And as a pastor, it's very difficult to do as well. Very difficult. But I have to have God's perspective drive my own. Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogancy. The evil way in the forward mouth do I hate. Okay, so you have to hate evil. In order to fear the Lord, if it's a part of your life, you will hate evil. I don't care who does it, where it comes from, who's involved, you're going to hate it. You're going to hate it because you fear God. All right, Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Okay, why is it that the fear of the Lord gives you strong confidence? Let's just work this out practically for a second. If you fear God first, why would it give you strong confidence? If you fear, if you fear God most, then you fear the con- consequences of anything else less. Yeah, totally. Like, if you fear God, are you going to care what your other friends think? No. No, not at all. I think sometimes we don't say certain things or we don't take advantage of opportunities because we fear what people are going to say in response or the friendships that we might ruin. Ruin. If you ruin a friendship over talking to somebody about God, they weren't your friend anyway. But that's just another point. So when you fear God, you have strong confidence, not because of you, not because of anybody else or any circumstance, but because of God, but because of Him. Like, I don't care what the circumstances. I've gone through some pretty crazy, difficult circumstances. I mean, life-altering circumstances. But I've been able to step forward in confidence through them because of the Lord, not because of me. Because if I'm doing what's right, forget anyone else, forget anything else. If I'm doing what's right in the eyes of God, I can have confidence. Not arrogance, confidence. Because I'm doing what's right in the eyes of God. Now, if I have any fault in the matter, I better own up to that real quick and get it dealt with because God is going to call me out on that. So in the fear of the Lord is great confidence. Great confidence. All right, and then Isaiah 11.3. And shall make of him quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Okay, so when you have the fear of God, you are not going to judge based on what you see or on what you hear. Now those are factors, because you can't make a proper judgment if you don't see it or if you don't hear it. I need to know all the information before I make a proper judgment. But it's more than that. It's more than that. When you fear God, the things that you see and the things that you hear go through the filter of God and His Word, and it gives you almost a, a supernatural biblical discernment about what's actually going on. But only when you fear God, because if you fear that person, then you're going to hear what they say and you're going to take that as truth. I can't tell you how many times people in conflicts that they will take one person's opinion or word or circumstance and they will then make a judgment. Oh, that person's completely wrong. Okay, hold on a second. How do you know? Like You can get their perspective, but there are two sides or more to every story. You cannot make snack judgments about things just based on one person that they tell you. So here's what I do in any counseling session. I will hear what this person has to say, and I'll let it sit, and I'll put myself in their perspective, and I'll hear what they have to say. I'll ask them questions, and I'll hear their responses. And then I will go to the other side, and I'll, okay, I need to hear from you, and I need to put myself in their perspective, and then I need to think about it, and, and then I need to ask them questions, get more information. And then I need to go here and say, okay, what does God actually say? Forget how I feel about this person. What does God actually say? And then say, okay, here's the deal. This is the right thing to do. I've got to do it that way. I have to. I must. I must. And the fear of the Lord will give you that wisdom. All right, so that's the first thing. God's perspective will drive every circumstance, and it's very hard to do. It's very hard to do, especially when you're in a high emotional situation. Secondly, God's opinion surpasses everyone else's. When you fear God, His opinion matters the most above anyone. Job 28, 28. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Okay. If you want wisdom, it is rooted in the fear of the Lord. Caring about what God thinks. If you do not care about what God thinks, then you cannot have wisdom. You can't. 
There is absolutely no way. Proverbs 129. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They hated knowledge and did not, what's the word? Choose. Choose. The fear of the Lord. Not only is the fear of the Lord something that must be taught, but you have to choose to adopt the fear of the Lord into your life or else you are going to make some seriously bad decisions. You will not have wisdom. You won't have knowledge. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. Notice what is associated with the fear of the Lord. The second half of that verse. Before honor is humility. Humility. In order to have the proper fear of the Lord, you have to have humility. You have to have humility, which means you have to admit, and this is so hard for a lot of people, I am wrong, or I could be wrong in this circumstance. What does God say? And consider that. It's very hard to do that. And then Proverbs twenty-three seventeen. Let none thy heart and be sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. All right, who cares about anybody else? Don't envy anybody else. Don't envy sinners. Be in the fear of God, fear of the Lord all the day long, and you'll be safe. God's opinion surpasses everyone else's. If you let God's opinions mean more to you than anybody else, one of the greatest benefits is that you're actually going to be able to love people properly, like truly. I mean... It's so freeing when you, when you allow the fear of God and His opinion to, to supersede anyone or anything else. It'll give you the ability to truly care for people and minister properly. All right, and then lastly, God's will supersedes your own. And this one is definitely the hardest. God's will supersedes your own. All right, Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that, that do His commandments. Praises. Oh, sorry. His praise endureth forever. Okay. So, the fear of the Lord. What's that first part? The fear of the Lord, what does it say again? Is the beginning. Is the beginning of knowledge. Is the beginning. Fearing God, it is the beginning of knowledge. And so, His will will definitely supersede your own. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning. Oftentimes we think that we have all the answers. Or that, no, I've got this. I've done this many times in my life. Where I think I know what's going on. I think I know what's best. And then I go and I make a decision and it was the wrong move. It's because I didn't let the fear of God be the beginning of my wisdom. The beginning of my wisdom. So there are times in my life that I have literally had to push aside everything that I thought. Everything that I felt. Even all my plans and everything and say, okay, God... What do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? What is the right way to do this? It's very difficult. Especially if you're very passionate about whatever that is. Proverbs 2.5 Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Okay. So you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. He will give you what you need. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Yes. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. He will help you understand everything. Proverbs 16, 6. Oh, that's me. <laughs> uh, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. I love this verse. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So let me ask you, what sin or sins are you struggling with right now in your life? Whatever it is. The reason why you continue to struggle is because you do not fear God properly. And it's the same with me. The sins that linger in my heart and in my mind, they linger because I do not fear God properly. When I have spent good quality time with God within any given day, and I'm doing what God has called me to do, it is so much easier to say no to sin. Because I've spent time with Him. He's in my mind. He's in my heart. I've done things that have been in His will. It's easier to continue to walk in step with God. So if you're struggling with sin in your own heart, in your own life, it's because you do not fear God properly in that particular area. It's very difficult. Proverbs 3, 5-7. through 7. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and be not unto thine own understanding. And all my ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Now, the reason why I love these verses and I have committed them to memory and it's so easy for me just to say them is because I need these verses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. I have a tendency to think 
what I think is the right thing every time. And I need to lean not upon my own understanding. And in all my ways, I have to acknowledge Him, run everything past Him, make sure I'm not doing anything without Him, and He shall direct thy paths. I need to be not wise in mine own eyes. I need to fear the Lord and depart from evil. I cannot be wise in mine own eyes, even if I'm justified. Like, there are certain things, I mean, there are things that happened over the past couple weeks that even Megan and I have been working through uh, with some of the circumstances surrounding her grandma, where in that circumstance, we have every right to feel the way I feel. Like, every single right. If you look at all the evidence, I have every right to feel this way and to do these things. However, when you lay it aside and say, Lean not upon thine own understanding, in all my ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. What is the right move in this scenario? And it's often much different than what we want to do or that we feel is right to do. It's very difficult to do. Very difficult to do. But if you're able to do it, then that's true maturity. And most people don't have it. All right, let's hit the last point here. The spirit of submission and reverence. Walking in the spirit. So if you're able to start working some of these things out, have the fear of the Lord inside of you. You start practicing that fear of the Lord practically and you become more holy because you're fearing God. You care more about what God thinks. His perspective drives everything you do. His opinion surpasses everyone else's opinions. His will supersedes your own and you adopt God's will as your own. Then you're able to have what's called the spirit of submission and reverence. And I just kind of put this as walking in the spirit. Because for me, walking in the spirit is just walking in total agreement with the spirit of God. So if the word of God says something about your life that you should be doing and it might be difficult, you're like, okay, this is really hard, but this is what he told me to do, so I need to do it. And you yield your will, you submit your will to what God, God's will actually says. And so here's the deal. It is God's will to obey the authorities in your life. It definitely is. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. And 1 Peter 2 tells you why you should obey the authorities in your life. Because now that we've dealt with some of the heart issues, now we can get to this whole topic of obeying authority. 1 Peter chapter 2. And take a look at verse 11. Okay. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So first of all, he starts off by saying, you are a stranger and a pilgrim. You don't belong here. This world is not your home. So you're a stranger and a pilgrim. Verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So that means that even though they're going to speak evil of you now, in, at judgment day, when everything is laid bare, they're going to be able to glorify God because you actually did what was right. And then he lays into verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. But as free, not as using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Okay, so God wants you to obey the authorities that are in your life because in well-doing, when you do that which is right and you have a clear conscience before God, that you're going to be able to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, this is kind of messy, and we're going to get into this a little bit in the next point here. Because the next point talks about the fact that even though it's God's will for you to obey the authorities in your life, that there are times where you must speak against God-ordained authorities. But it is always in a spirit of humility in the fear of God. Now, we're living in a culture where this is so important for you to understand. Because there's a lot of nonsensical things that are happening out in our culture today. And we, as born-again believers, represent God first. And when man's ordinances go against God's commandments, we have every right to stand up and to tell them that they're wrong. 100%. The issue is, and this is where it gets difficult, is the motive of your heart. Because if you cannot stand up in a spirit of humility and the fear of God against them, then you shouldn't do it. You see what I mean? 
Because if you don't have a spirit of a, a spirit of humility, and if you don't fear God, but you just don't like what they're saying, and you know it's not right, and you're just going to go, bam, 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 bam. okay, well then you're arrogant, and you're a jerk, and you're prideful, and you're no good as, as they are. I mean, you're the same. You're the same as what they're doing. It's the exact same thing. But if you, with a right heart attitude, are honoring God and saying, you know what, God, I need to take a stand. Not for them, not for me, but for you, then you can have the confidence to take that stand when you're scared against that God-ordained authority. Because here's the bottom line to all this. I wish we had time to really get into some of this stuff. In Romans 13, it talks about that God has given these positions of authority to these people. So I'm talking about people that you even disagree with, politically, biblically, whatever. Like, let's say, for example, there's an unrighteous judge, or there's an unrighteous president, or there's an unrighteous Congress, or an unrighteous government, or an unrighteous pastor, or an unrighteous parent, that they're doing things that are just completely godless. In that scenario, guess who is going to hold their feet to the fire? And sometimes literally. Who is? God. Why? Okay. Okay, more than that. Within the realm of authority. What's that? He's the final judge. Yes. And he what? He put them there. God does not willy-nilly just say, Oh, hey, I didn't know that you were in charge. No. Like, Daniel talks about very clearly that God sets up kings and he puts down kings. All the kingdoms of the world belong to God. So if he has given someone a position of authority... Even if they're unrighteous, he is going to judge them based on their stewardship of that position of authority. And this is difficult for us to understand. Because there are some times where something happens where we're like, that's not right. And we get angry and frustrated. That's not right. What's going on here? And there are times where it's better for you to just shut your mouth. Because you are prideful and arrogant and frankly just being a prick about it. And you need to trust that God is going to deal with them. One way or another, God is going to deal with them. And maybe in the process, He needs to deal with you too. This is hard for us to do. But I'm telling you, Jesus did this perfectly. Perfectly. Look at... Um, I love this. It's in the same chapter of, of 1 Peter chapter 2. Take a look at this. Verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He committed himself to God the Father, who always judges righteously. So, even his crucifixion, he didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve to be mocked or ridiculed or beat or spit on. He didn't deserve any of that. But what he did is he kept his mouth shut. And he proceeded forward for two reasons. One, I know that my death is going to redeem all of humanity if they're willing to come to me and trust in me as their Savior. And two, God will deal with these people. And it gave him all the confidence in the world to keep stepping forward through that circumstance. Very difficult to do. But he did understand this. Go over to, um, go over to John, John 18. I want you to see a couple of examples of Jesus here when he did this. John 18. John 18. Okay. Take a look at verse 19. <laughs> Every time I read this, I get goosebumps about this one. This is a good one. All right, verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. So he's currently arrested. He's going to be crucified shortly. And so now they're interrogating him. Verse 20. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort. And in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me. What have I said, what, what I have said unto them? Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? I love this. First of all, being an officer, uh, I'd be scared as all get out that I just struck the Son of God. <laughs> but here, it looks like he's being arrogant. He's not being arrogant. He's, he's openly just saying the truth. And then this guy comes in and he smacks him and says, Are you going to answer the high priest this way? And he's like, Hey, listen, if I said anything wrong, tell me. But if I didn't, why did you hit me? 
and then he just left it. See, Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He knew it was, who was in charge. He knew it was happening. He knew the truth, and he was content. He didn't react. When he was hit, I mean, think about it. My gosh, if we were Jesus in this scenario, if we were to get hit, it would be like fire from heaven. Now! What <laughs> the dude would be gone. I mean, we would just wipe everybody out. Dead, 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 dead. I mean, we would just do that. But here, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. In this scenario, he asked a very simple question. What did I do that was wrong, that I deserved to be hit? And if I didn't do anything wrong, then why did you hit me? And just moved on. Unbelievable. Power under severe control. Take a look at chapter 19. And take a look at verse, um, verse 9. And he, Pilate, went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate, Pilate, then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? And then look at what Jesus says. Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Which was Judas, by the way. Pilate, you have no authority if it had not been given to you from God. So I trust God. God has placed me in your hands. God gave you this power. I trust God. So however this unfolds, this unfolds. Unbelievable. This is really cool. Paul had a very similar testimony. Take a look at Acts 23. Acts 23. Now this shows you the difference between God in the flesh versus Paul. Because Paul was in a similar circumstance where he... Um, was a little bit hot off the collar and he said something that was pretty harsh and he got, he got hit for it. So Acts 23, verse 1. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for thou for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? <laughs> I mean, right out of the gate. He just lets him have it. I love it. Verse 4, And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Look what he says. Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. So he immediately repented. This guy deserved it. He deserved the talk back. I mean, boom. Why are you white? I mean, he just lays into him. And then he's like, oh, I didn't realize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know? And he, and he completely backs off. So here's a, a scenario where Paul even crossed the line, but then he repented and he came back. So that's just an example. And then even the Old Testament prophets, I wish we could go into it. The Old Testament prophets, God sent them to speak against his people, like straight up against kings, nations, and people, and tell them, you guys are way out of line. Like, you're wrong. You're completely wrong. And God sent them to those kings, those nations, those people, even the Israelites, to rebuke them and to come against them. Now, in some scenarios, they were actually, I mean, they suffered the consequences of it. In 1 Kings 22, there's a guy who's a prophet who goes before Ahab and Jehoshaphat, and he ends up prophesying against them and what they're going to be doing. And King Ahab basically says, uh, I want you to be taken to prison, and I want you to basically stay there until I come back. So he was even in prison for it. So when you go against the God-ordained authorities, they have the power to do things to you as the God-ordained authority. But when you have a clear conscience before God and you're doing what's right in the eyes of God because you fear God over anybody else, then you know that God is going to deal with these people no matter what's going on. Now, this is a very complex scenario, but the reason why this is so important and the reason why I wanted to start off with this as we're kind of closing this out now is because if you can't have a proper heart attitude... Now, hear me on this, please. If you cannot have a proper heart attitude in the very simple little things, like towards your parents, towards your, towards your siblings, towards your friends, towards your youth leaders, towards your teachers, towards any faculty, towards even different government officials, what makes you think that your heart is going to be in a proper situation to make major life-altering decisions like who you're going to marry and what your job is going to be? You know what I mean? I mean, this is a big deal. And people don't think about this. They don't think about that if you have a bad heart attitude towards anyone in any position of authority, then you are not submissive to, the, the, to God's will. You can't be. There's no way. 
even if that person's wrong, even if that position of authority handles it the wrong way, if you are not submissive and yield to God in your heart about that matter, then you are not going to make sound decisions about who you're going to marry, who you're going to date, your future career and your future career path. It, it's, it's not going to work. You're already blinded. You're blinded by your own selfishness, your own pride, your own wisdom, which is foolishness in the eyes of God. You're not going to make good decisions. So this was a lot today, and there's a lot of things that I, I mentioned tonight, but it's so important that you really let this permeate in your heart because if you struggle with authority today, you are not going to date the right person. You're not going to pick the right school. You are not going to pick the right career because you're not submissive in your heart anyway, and you're just going to do what you want to do. And I would almost rather have someone come to that place where I know I'm rebellious against God and I'm willing to live that way, so I'm just going to carry out those consequences. Like, I have a lot more respect for those kind of people than people that are just willingly ignorant and saying, oh, I'm, I, I love God. I'm a Christian. I, I do all these things. Yes, He's my Lord and my Savior. But then they go out and they start dating lost people. They move away to school without considering if there's a solid church that's there that's gonna, that they can grow in and, and, and actually mature in their relationship with God. Uh, that they're going to pick a career path that will and it will totally remove them to have an ability to have any sort of influence or ministry with any local churches God ordained in the scriptures. I mean, there's just so many things that are, are long-lasting ramifications that are going to bleed into eternity that I think way too many people are going to step through the veil of time into eternity future, and they're going to look back and they're going to be, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Why did I marry that person? Why did I make this decision to, to go to this school and pick this career path that led me over here when I could have done this? I wasted years of my life that I could have actually been doing what God told me to do, but I just didn't. And it goes back here first. Because you guys are tested every day in your homes, with your friendships, in your schools and the places that you work on your heart attitude now. And if you're not willing to be submissive in your heart towards these little things, there's no way you're going to hear God on the big things. There's no way. No way. So I hope this makes sense. I really hope that you take this and run with it because there's no way we can really move forward without really chewing on some of this stuff. And I really feel bad for the people that didn't make it tonight uh, because they're really going to miss out on something that you guys were able to get. So, um, so run with this. Seriously, think about it. And talk to God about it if you need to. All right, let's close in prayer. Yeah, Andy? Just real quick, a couple things I was thinking about that you said. You know, if we can really have that fear of the Lord, this is something that I also struggle with. Yeah. When you really get complacent and just kind of fall back on some things. Um, because obviously my job is very uh, alpha. Driven, yeah. You know, and people can have real bad attitudes about certain particular outcomes. But how much of a better place if these guys are ready, we can really grasp this concept before we go to camp. Yeah. And how much better of a camp yeah. We can have yeah. knowing what that means because a lot of times we go there and we find that out afterwards. Yeah. And it's the same thing every year we come back. Oh, it's great for the summer at the school. Yeah. But I think this is something that we've been missing that we can really apply. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, anyone? You're not going to look back and regret marrying me, I can tell you that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking I that. I'm sure I'm answering heaven for this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Amy, why don't you close in prayer for us? And then, we, and then once we're done, you guys can pray together in, in your groups, and then you're dismissed after that. Heavenly Father, um, we just do pray for those who are not able to be here. It was such a great lesson and a good reminder for me uh, just about these things, Lord, uh, just about you know what the fear of the Lord really means. Lord, we do get really complacent in our walks, in our daily lives. Sometimes we just, we just have this mindset that we can do it on our own. And the problem is when we're not able to correct that and see our mistake that we just get more and more numb to it. And that's just the truth. We have to be able to come uh, submissive and ready when we open up your word. We need to have the right heart attitude. I mean, that's, that's the reasons for Bible studies that we follow, uh, Lord, that we, we have a pattern so we can prepare ourselves. I pray for each and every person in, in this room tonight, Lord, that they would uh, take these things seriously. And uh, if, they, if they do have questions, ask. You know, ask any of us. But, uh, Lord, as we go our separate ways tonight, we ask you to continue to keep us safe as we break up in prayer groups here. If there's anything that's on someone's mind, just don't let them hold back. Just have a mask, and we, uh, we can continue to pray. And we just pray for those who are, uh, just for the kids here tonight, Lord, that have people on their mind about coming to summer camp. Because it is just around the corner. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you, and we just ask you to bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thank you.